If you knew you were starting a business that would generate you $1 million per year, how much would you be willing to invest today? Travis Ferris is a real estate entrepreneur, sales coach, team leader, public speaker, and community builder. He's done the work with over $500 million in total sales. Now he's welcoming you to the table. But make sure you're ready. The coffee is for closers only. The mindset's the one thing that's going to keep you going. Coffee for Closers is powered by Collab Agents. Here's your host, Travis Ferris. Welcome, listeners, to our Coffee for Closers fueled by Collab Agents. Today is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Um, I'm super excited excited about it. We have a, one of our great friends, Jarvis Caldwell, here. Uh, he's going to be coming in, and we're going to be talking a little bit about you know this thing called politics. So, you know, this is coffee for closers. And, you know, if you don't know better, like, and you're listening to this podcast, closers talk about, they talk about things that are sensitive. They talk about politics, religion, spirituality, business, money, and all of the things that is important and actually kind of creates the foundation of our life. So a little bit of a different aspect is people that don't want to talk about money, they they might not have any money. So it's one of those things where, Politics is not a bad word. I think politicians potentially, you know, gave it a stigma, but I think there's a stigma in probably every industry. So today we're going to do a deep dive in what exactly is politics? How does it impact you? What are the effects left, right, indifferent, completely just looking at what's going on in our world? And the other thing I have to say, if you're listening to this, which I'm super stoked that you are, because it means you're trying to grow and, and just be a better person, business professional, and of course, closer, is you should not take the things that are told to you as fact and as the gospel, whatever it is. You should constantly be looking in and figuring out how things work, who's saying it, who is who is who might have something that they want to say or have to say or an agenda behind it. So that regardless of where you are, you should always ask two questions after someone tells you a fact and it's kind of backing up where, where they are. So we're going to dive right into this. Uh, so we're going to intro... Good buddy, Jarvis Caldwell. He's a communications director for the Republican Caucus in the Colorado House of Representatives. Prior to his current role, he was licensed real estate associate broker in Colorado. And before that, he was he served 10 years in the Air Force, including assignments in Washington, D.C., South Korea, South Korea, England, and Italy. And he is also a veteran of Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. So to put it frankly, is Jarvis has a lot of uh, accolades behind his name. And that's what some of my my best buddies actually we were, we met at the gym. Gym buddies just become best buddies, and that's that's where we met Jarvis. So um, very like minded individual. And right when we met him, I started just kind of acting like because he was like you know we knew he kind of worked in politics and and for the Republican Party or office, and it was like what what do you do? Like what is politics? So uh, you know of course we'll have the editors bleep, bleep this out, but like what the. F- is politics like literally what is it how does it work how does it influence everything going on so jarvis sorry man that's a long long intro uh welcome my friend thanks for popping on yeah man thanks so much for having me here um so uh, i appreciate the the very kind intro and and i appreciate you having me here today uh and kind of credit uh to you and and uh nisa that you know you guys have a great social media presence and so when I when I was at the gym, I, I had seen you guys, I think, on Instagram first. 
And, uh, and I recognized you at the gym and I was like, Hey, I, I know those guys, they're, they're killing it on Instagram. And, uh, and so I, I think I reached out to Anissa, uh, first and just said, Hey, are, are you this person? Cause I think I follow you. And, uh, so, you know, that's, that's a big credit to you guys and, and your presence and everything that you guys do. Um, yeah. So what is politics? That's kind of a complicated one. Right. But, uh, I think, I think just to boil it down to a more pragmatic level is, you know, especially in, in real estate and business and stuff like that, it's, it, it has such a big impact, uh, on everything that you do. You know, when you go to the mail and you open up your, your, your bills and, and especially like a cell phone bill or your, your property tax bill, and you see this huge, you see kind of like the, the premium and then you see this huge list of everything that goes under it and it's taxes and fees and, you know, different regulations and stuff. That's why you need to be paying attention to what's going on um, every day, because the, the things that are happening at the local and state level, not the federal level is what's actually affecting your life day to day. And so, you know, anything I can do to, uh, you know, inform more people about it, about, Hey, you need to be paying attention to what's going on at the local and state level, because that's, what's really impacting your life. I know a lot of people want to watch national news and read national, uh, newspapers and publications, but that, that's not really what's affecting your day to day when you're trying to grow a business, uh, and, and you're, you know, being, uh, bogged down by burdensome regulations and things like that. So, uh, politics, uh, at that level is, is extremely important. For sure. And, and, uh, I, I, and that's, it's like the tip of the iceberg type situation, I think, which is actually yeah. what, what politics is. And again, it's mm. uh, the media pushes something. I think people watch it and they automatically just say, oh, I, I think I know what politics is. And it's, it came down to it when we first were talking and uh, I was kind of like, what do you do? And you were mm. like, well, you know, when you actually go and vote and you have three options, you know, there's actually 20 options out there. But my job is actually to go and vet these people and and so that when you actually go to the voting booth, you know, I'm who actually controls or vets the people to end up on the voting sheet. And even something little like that, you're like, oh, dang, like I didn't know how it works. Um, it's something that, you know, is definitely the 10 percent, 90 percent, you know, the the 90 percent right. of the iceberg that's under the water where you just go with a grain of salt and just think that there's this perfect system. But there's, I think, a lot of people doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, which actually makes up, you know, politics kind of as we know it. So, yeah. So to kind of to kind of build on that, uh, it's a great example. So when you go to vote in like a general election, which is almost always in November, right? When you go to vote and you look at a ballot and you see, you know, multiple different candidates on there, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is. There, there were months, if not years, building up to that point when you look at your ballot and see who's on that on that ballot that you're casting a vote for. Uh, what a lot of people that just frankly don't pay attention to and don't realize is that, you know, there, there's this whole primary process, which is why I stress getting involved early and at the local level, because before that person got on your general election ballot, there were there was like in the Colorado, especially you have a caucus system where you go and you elect delegates. Those delegates go to like a county and a state assembly and then they vote for the multiple candidates within that party. And that decides who gets on the primary ballot. And then sometime and I think in usually March or April, you'll have the primary elections where if you're a Republican, you vote. Uh, for the, the Republican primary candidate. If you're a Democrat, you vote for the Democratic uh, primary candidate. And you're selecting who you want to be on the main ballot 
uh, in November. So there's a very long process before those names get on that ballot that you see in November. And that's why I'm always stressing, hey, it's important to be a part of this process ahead of time early on, because if not, then you're going to get stuck with whoever you get stuck with. It's going to be on the ballot in November. But you actually have a say in who's going to be on that ballot, who um, everybody's going to be voting for uh, come November. So part of part of what I do on day to day. So I, I am the comms director for the House Republicans. So uh, just like at the federal level, you have the uh, at the federal level, you have the U.S. Senate, you have the U.S. Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives, right? Then you have your executive uh, branch. So you have the the president at the federal level. So the states are set up very similar similar to that. So you have a uh, state House of Representatives, you have a state Senate, and then you have the the governor who is basically like the president of the state. So I I am in the House of Representatives side. Uh, We have uh, 19 Republican members. And what I do from a comms perspective is I, I help get out the message because people don't realize it. And, and this is what kind of drove me to this uh, job is I was involved in, in local politics. And uh, what I kept hearing from people, because I had friends who were, were uh, state senators and state uh, house representatives, and I knew how hard they worked and, and the long hours. Uh, I mean, your session, our session in Colorado is 120 days. And I mean, they're spending... 15, 16 hour days. Some of them, uh, including like myself, they live in Colorado Springs, but the capitals in Denver, we're driving at least minimum hour and a half each way every day. On top of that 14, 15, 16 hour work day, they're, they're putting forward good bills to lower property taxes uh, and, and protect certain rights and, and lower costs of things and try to repeal fees and things like that. But uh, it's just, you know, people, they get stuck in their day-to-day lives and I get it because I was there too before I got involved. And so I, I didn't, I didn't see that side of it. And so like most people, I sat there and went, you know, what in the hell are they doing over there? Like why, why every time I, I uh, you know, go to the store is, is stuff more expensive than now I have fees, I have these added fees on, on different bills and stuff like that. I'm like, what's going on? What are they doing over there? And I didn't realize how much they actually do. So part of my job is making sure I get that message out there and I let people know, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're working on. And uh, from a day-to-day standpoint, that's that's putting stuff out on on social media, whether it's it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm coordinating with uh, journalists, like local press and, and TV media. And I'm like, hey, here's we have a really good bill coming up. I'll pitch it to the journalists or the TV and say, hey, we have this really good bill coming up next week in committee. Like, let's, you know, I don't know if you're covering it, but you should probably cover it. It's a really hot topic. Like, you know, let's have our person on and, and talk about this bill. And, you know, it gives them content. And for us, it's it's outreach. It's letting people know what's going on. So that's how we for bring sure. attention to issues. Cool. No, absolutely. It's uh, We kind of talked about it yesterday about, and I think a lot of people think it's like this house of cards operation, um, right. you know, in the, in these, you know, 15, 16 hour days, like what, what are some of the things that you actually are kind of doing in just a couple minutes? Like what, what does your day look like? And, and what's like, what is it, what, is, what does yeah. it entail? So, so I'll look at, I kind of started off. So every day you have like a calendar, like a schedule, like here's the committees going on. So for example, you have like a transportation committee, you have an education committee, uh, state affairs, you have these different committees and, and that's where the bills first go to. 
And that's where the, the people, the citizens have a right to show up there. It doesn't cost any money. You just sign up and you go there and you get to testify on why you support the bill or why you oppose the bill. And then you have a committee made up of uh, a handful of, of the House uh, members who will will you know hear the testimony and they'll ask questions and things like that. And it's not just citizens that show up. You have certain stakeholders, right? Like say it's an education thing and it's going to affect teachers. You have teachers unions show up. You'll have charter schools representatives like lobbyists, right? It's a dirty word, but you'll have lobbyists who go there on behalf of an association. It has to do with real estate. You'll have a lot of times the, um, the Colorado Association of Realtors will show up or you'll have the, the local, like your Pikes Peak uh, Association of Realtors, which is what we have down here in Colorado Springs, they'll show up and they'll testify and say, hey, uh, you know, if this bill passes, this is how it'll help us, our industry, or this is how it'll hurt it. And so what I what I do is I, I do outreach. I, I try to, you know, bring people um, you know, e- through emailing lists or calling people. I'll say, hey, this bill is here. We need you to come. And usually you're kind of working that uh, in the days ahead, but you'll do committees for a part of the day. Then you actually go out on the house floor where the debate happens. Like you see on TV, when you see like a representative standing up there at the podium and they're, you know, yelling or, or just talking and debating an idea. That's where we have that on the house floor. So that's a, that's a big part of the day. And depending on where that bill is at, you'll have voting where people actually, you know, push the button and, and cast a vote and then bills pass uh, or fail. So, uh, in between all of that, I'm running around, I, I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting stuff. So if we get a good bill passed, I'll highlight that on social media and say, you know, this bill was just passed by this representative. Um, and this is what this bill will do. Um, I'm, I'm talking with media and I'm coordinating. Okay. They're about to vote. This representative is about to vote. So he can't talk right now, uh, on TV. However, we'll be done in about 10 minutes and then we'll come out and I'll stand there with them while they're doing the, uh, the TV interview and I'll give them feedback and things like that. And, uh, you know, try to, try to steer the topic and, and, uh, just getting the message out there. Cool. Perfect. Well, here's a big one. Uh, every day that you go into work, like, um, how are you utilizing what you're doing now to basically change the world every single day or trying to? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much I'm changing the world, but I, I'm trying to change Colorado a little bit. Uh, for, for your viewers who are maybe living in Colorado, uh, you know, Colorado used to be a very, conservative uh state um it it voted republican a whole lot and and that's that's changing a lot and you know as a republican i'm obviously partisan on that so what i'm trying to do is uh show people like hey you know we are the party of uh you know small business and and more freedom and and getting government you know less less intrusion getting government out of your life and and, um having so much say in in your your day-to-day stuff for sure and and uh I think that's one thing to kind of talk. We talked about it as well um, as far as like the two parties. So again, it's like yeah. I always, I am who, my, who I am. Again, like I've done, you know, massive talks and I pull up pictures of literally like I'm from Alaska. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with guns. I hunt, you know, I'm huge on gun safety and, and there's a lot of like uh, safety measures and things like that. You know, I enjoy drinking, you know, from time to time, even though I try to cut it out, like just, I am who yeah. I am. So diving into this though, I always try to like cast a fair, you know, we'll call it the, you know, the one truth. Like the fact is there is one truth. Like um, when you actually talk mm-hmm. and it was like my truth, my truth, my, no, there is, there's literally one truth. That's why it's called the truth, but you have right. uh, Democrats, you have Republicans. And I, I started thinking about this. If you actually go back 
and you you look at uh, politics and Republicans versus Democrats over the last 300 years, um, they actually flip flop. Mm. So if, if you actually look at it to where um, what is it? Democrats in the 1800s were were more conservatives. So Democrats were actually conservatives wanting to conserve what is going on currently in the country. Um, and the Republicans at the time were actually like the liberals, like uh, liberal freedom, like li- liber- more libertarian. And it's interesting right. to see how those parties flip, um, yeah. you know, and, and so here's the thing, like going into this. Now, this is where I love to strike up conversation is and I always yeah. say this, like who is rage, rage against the machine talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah. who's the who's the man? Like, yeah. who's the man? And it's it's like, if you actually look about it, look. Look at it as far as in the the seventies and eighties, your your mm. liberals like freedom, you know, marijuana. Like I'm I'm for I'm for marijuana. Like it's it's uh, it, it helps states out. It's you know what I mean. It, it's one of those things. But mm. but look how it flips because you just said it too. It's the interesting thing, and I've heard a lot of talkers, uh, a lot of very intelligent speakers. You know, Joe Rogan. Um, mm. What's it, Russell? Um, uh, Russell Brand. Russell Brand and talking yeah. about it to where it's the craziest thing because this uh, Democrat, like the Democratic Liberal mm. Party side, um, it used to be again against corporations. Like, right. hey, no corporations, small business, and yeah. again that flip flop to where yeah. that like the the Democrat Liberal sides are so um, we'll just say the corporations, the cor- corporates are just hiding in there. So, you know, and that's where it's just, you, you come into a, like, it's just interesting. And if you can't have a conversation and the last point, and then I want to hear your thoughts Yeah, is here's, this is one of my favorite things. And I always talk to my team about it. If someone talks about something that you don't understand and there's literally a gap. So you think, you know, you think, you know, one thing, and again, it doesn't matter where you're at on thinking, you think, you know, one thing that means your brain stops there. And then when someone starts talking about something else and there's a there's literally a gap in understanding, mm. it's something called cognitive dissonance. And yeah. so what happens is your brain cannot allow a gap to happen. It literally can't. It's the same way right. that your brain, your brain is actually creating the vision that you see. Your eyes see something and your brain is actually telling your you and your brain what it's seeing. And so it can't just go black. And so it actually has to fill that gap of understanding with something. And 99% of the time it gets filled with anger and frustration. So this is looking into myself. If if someone's talking about something and you automatically find yourself angry or irritated, you need to be able to actually have the, the, the girth to stop and say, huh, is cognitive dissonance occurring? Because, uh, I used to always, Nisa and I used to always invite one of our good friends in, in Hawaii, mm. him and his wife, over for the debates because we were all so polar opposite in our thinking. Right. And we'd invite him over for dinner on purpose and we'd have these amazing conversations over dinner while we watched the debates. We'd pause, we would debate, we would have, and it was fun. And in the right. past couple of years, this just unfortunate thing about not being able to talk about it has emerged. And, and again, it's like, that, that's science. Yeah. It's it's all different viewpoints. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, a, a couple points there. You don't even have to go back to like the 1800s to kind of see where, where it's shifted. I mean, if you go back to like the 60s, you know, it was, uh, I would say the 
it, like uh, what you would call like just a, a traditional liberal was more about, you know, free speech, um, kind of anti-big corporations. And, and even up into the 90s and 2000s, you know, big pharma, very skeptical, big pharma and things like that. And that I mean, that that switched really quickly. Um, what we've seen with vaccine mandates and and all these all these other things, all of a sudden it's like now all of a sudden we're supposed to trust big pharma who pays, who's paid out billions and billions of dollars over the years. Um, and, you know, in lawsuits and things like that for different kinds of injuries and not disclosing certain things like Oxycontin's a, a good example, um, that settlement there. But, um, to which get is into, heroin, just, just which right. is heroin. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, yeah. So well, people they, understand. Right. The, the pharmaceutical companies knew it was addictive and, and just flat out lied about it and, 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 and pitched it as, as non-addictive. Right. So it's like, there, there's, we should be skeptical of big corporations like that. Right. Uh, and, uh, it, you've, we've seen that switch and just in my lifetime, I'm, I'm 34 and I've seen the switch where it was like just a handful of years ago. It like, it seemed like, uh, uh, like liberals were way more anti like big pharma and corporations and things like that. And very much pro free speech. And it just doesn't seem that way anymore. It seems like it's switched, which is why you have the Joe Rogans and the Russell brands. Cause Joe Rogan and Russell brand, they're, they're both, I would, I would call like a, a traditional liberal. And um, even they, they almost seem conservative when you hear them talk, but they're just talking about just basic liberal principles, but it just, it seems like kind of uh the especially the the democrat party like as a party has kind of moved away from those principles so you you have seen that kind of switch especially recently um but uh yeah getting to your other point is something that is it's frustrating for me is the uh the amount of emotional arguments coming and and you know i don't know i don't know if it's because society's changed or just our generation is getting softer or something like that where we can't handle you know, uh, people who don't agree with us, but it, it, it is a really hard part because I always try to, I have friends from all different backgrounds, especially my time in the military. You, you serve with people from all over the country and actually from other countries too, because people come here as immigrants and then enlist and things like that. So you serve with all kinds of different backgrounds and, and, you know, we would have these conversations and debates, but you know, it, I don't think it ever got to like where, I didn't want to be their friend or, you know, I'd scream at them or anything like that because they felt differently than me. And that's something that I feel like we're losing that we just, we have to get back because it is just, it's creating more and more polarization where it's, you know, you no longer want to talk with that person that has a different viewpoint than you because you're like, it's not worth the trouble. It's not worth yelling. Uh, you know, it's not worth the fight basically is like, I'm just going to stay away from them. I'm going to stay in my echo chamber. They're going to stay away from me and people like me. They're going to stay in their echo chamber and we're just not having that dialogue. And, you know, I can say that, you know, working in the house of representatives is, uh, it, it is, it's very polarized there. Like you have a lot of bipartisan bills where people will come together and, and get a bill passed because it, it's, it's just good for everybody from no matter what, uh, you know, side of that political aisle you, you're on. But when it comes to those like really hard topics, like whether it's, a you know, abortion rights or whether it's gun rights or things like that, I mean, it's, it's still, still very polarized, still kind of hard to have a conversation. Um, even, even there at the, at, at that level of government, it, it's, you see the same thing that you see just on kind of Facebook where it's back and forth bickering. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, and I guess it's because <clears throat> here's the thing. I think anyone who, again, is listening to this podcast and is probably like a forward thinking, growth minded, 
you've probably pondered and 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 came up with some fixes to this country. I think every intelligent uh, adult in some time or another has come up with something like that. I think would positively change the country, right? For for sure. And and then you ask, well, why why can't this happen? I, I even asked mm-hmm. Nisa because like I was just like coming like again just kind of thinking out loud and i was like dude you know what like would be interesting is what if whatever because here's the thing take take parties out of it it's like Mm -hmm. you know big pharma government whatever it is what it is like at the end of the day like uh it's like freedom regardless regardless of democrat republican liberal libertarian conservative it's all about like being free our country was founded on those things um yeah uh so and i think unfortunately i think we're kind of moving so as a i i used to be a lot more libertarian i think i've kind of moved more uh conservative um as as i kind of got older but um yeah i i think um it's it's difficult it's difficult because i i if it's i know from like a libertarian conservative standpoint like i always kind of resort to freedom you know is this is this making me more or less free whether that's you know financially free or just um you know civically free uh, uh civic rights free um and i i feel like a question that it just doesn't get asked enough that really goes back to the the founding of the country is is this the role of government if if the government is trying to pass this uh you know, law that restricts something, you know, and they say, well, this is for the betterment of society and things like that for safety and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's true. But like, is, is that what the role of government is? You know, I, I heard, uh, Andrew Napolitano, a, a very famous judge he used to be, um, a contributor on Fox news and actually hosted a show on there. But he, he, one time he made the argument, like, you know what, we can make people a whole lot safer if we just, uh, we, the, we didn't have like due process and a legal search and seizure and the police could just show up to your house anytime they wanted and go through your house and, and search everything. You know what? They could probably stop a lot of crimes and kidnappings and, and drugs and illegal guns and stuff like that. You know what? That, that probably would make us safer if we gave the government that kind of power. But like, is, is that, is that what we're founded on? Like, you know, it, yes, it'll make us safer, but is that the role of the government in America? And, you know, I think the answer is no. So yes, certain things may make us safer, but is, is that the role of government? And is that infringing on that freedom and free will that, that we're supposed to have as Americans? For sure. And again, like, cause I, I want this to get across. Cause again, like I, like we're again, left, right, or the other, I always look at, at the, the issue and then look at any solution and, and, right. and the pros and cons of, of, of any of the solutions as well. And like, again, one of the things I was kind of like thinking, okay, okay, well, if you had a president that was, you know, Republican, maybe the vice president has to be Democrat or Mm flip-flop or revert to try to basically kind of like essentially work in the favor of of both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, it it actually used to be that way. Um, So you used to um, early on in the founding of the country, the the president and the vice president, they weren't on a ticket together. They were separate. Um, And while you would think maybe that would make them work together better, uh, it, it wasn't because it was usually like the vice president 
is trying to sabotage the, the president because gotcha. if for some reason the president were to get removed, now the vice president from the other party is now in charge. But I mean, it really does. I mean, we kind of do have that in a sense um, because you have, you know, the House of Representatives, you have the Senate, right? And then you have the executive branch and then you have the judicial branch. So it, it is, you know, it's it's the, the checks and balances. So the president just doesn't have this ultimate authority. So Yes, he doesn't have a vice president. He or she doesn't have a vice president that like puts them in check. But that's the role of the legislature, and that's also the role of, of the judicial branch. Because if if it if they if they get away from uh, you know the legality of the constitution and things like that, they're supposed to be put in check by one of those other branches. So we kind of you know we, we do have that in sense. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but for sure. If you, but it it does happen. So it. It's, I guess there, I mean, a couple different points on it. Um, mm. You know, cause it's the same thing. If people go to the doctor, it's, and here, here's a question again, cause I always just want to go like the issue left, right, mm. indifferent. Um, if you go to a doctor, it's like, do, do you go to the doctor and take anything that that doctor says blindly? Like at this, at this day and age, do you mm. No, You're like, right. who is this doctor? Like literally, who are you as a doctor? What are your accolades? What are your, what's your education? Like, who are you? What have you done? You're really investigating this person before you just bl blindly take facts and advice from this person. So yeah. I think a lot of people do that with the government itself. Now, this is the point is, okay, well, let's look at that for a second. Um, we are how many trillions of dollars in debt? 20 or 30? No, I think we're at 31. I think so we're at 31. 31 yeah. $31 trillion of debt. And they're literally yeah. talking about raising the debt ceiling. To put this in perspective, that if you look at America like a business, which it kind of is, there's inflow mm -hmm. of money and an outflow of money. So you're either running positive or negative. Blindly taking advice or whatever they have to say is literally like taking financial advice from somebody who's about to go bankrupt. They just lost <laughs> right. their home in a foreclosure. They yeah. have no money in the bank. They're right. maxed out on credit cards and you're going to take financial advice from that person. Right. It's the same thing. Like I saw Ray yeah. Dalio and again, Ray, Ray Dalio, uh, his, his kids grew up in uh, basically went to China for half their upbringing to learn Chinese business and the Chinese culture. Uh, he's mm -hmm. a very well-rounded person. He was literally talking about, he's like, do not raise the debt ceiling. It's yeah. all it's doing is passing this massive ball of debt and just, Here's the thing. There will be pain and suffering at some point in right. the future. We, we are 31 trillion in debt. In order to get out of that debt, there has to be uh, expenditures cut. There has to be changes, uh, this, that, and the other, whatever it is. Again, look yeah. at the solution. What's the solution? Yeah. And then go there. Yeah, you would uh, you would never run your your household uh, the way the government uh, you know runs this country because, like you said, uh, you 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 lose everything because you can't just infinitely borrow, kind of like what it seems like the government uh, does. But yeah, I, I think the the reality is 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 there has to be. You're right when you when you talk about spending cuts, and here's the thing is is and now we're we're talking federal level, right? It like politicians that like for instance, say. Uh, raising social security, right? The social security age, right? Like that's something that I think most people probably agree that that's, that's going to have, it's going to have to happen at some point, right? Because it's just completely uh, unsustainable as it is now and people are living longer. Um, and so, but imagine as from a, uh, 
you're a, a politician running for the uh, U.S. Senate seat. Imagine that's your platform. You know, the, imagine your platform is, you know, elect me. And uh, yeah, you think you're going to retire in two years, but now it's going to be seven years because we're going to raise it by five years because we have to. Right. That is not a popular yep. uh, uh that's not a popular campaign slogan. So, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's also part of the problem, um, is that you just, you know, the politicians, um, especially at the federal level want to get reelected and, and that's not a good message. But the, again, the reality is, is, um, there has to be cuts because I mean, we've been bringing in so many trillions of dollars, uh, of revenue from taxes every year. I mean, like literally breaking records within the last few years of, of tax money being brought in and maybe not during the pandemic, uh, you know, that was kind of an off year, but so you would think, well, we're bringing in more tax money now than ever. So we should be good. We should be like running a surplus or at least breaking even, but no, because as, as more money comes in, then politicians look at it and go, Hey, well now, uh, now we can spend even more money, you know? And it's just, you know, nobody wants to be the one that says, no, no, okay, these, these programs that we have going on here, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to cut these back big time because, you know, there's always going to be backlash, especially, you know, one of the only things that's infinite is, is a uh, government program, right? Once it gets well, started, it never goes away. And that was the thing. Uh, Social Security was created by what? Kennedy, right? No. I or Nixon? Might have been. No, I think it was started before that. Was, or uh, was it F- FDR, right? It might have been FDR. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was never supposed to be a long-term no. option. It was supposed to be a short-term fix to what was going on in the country. And what are, yeah. what are we, 80 yeah. years later? Well, the income tax was the same way. So the, 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 another name for the income tax is the war tax because the, the federal income tax was literally meant to tax you in a, in a time of war to help pay for it. I believe it was World War II. I could be mistaken. It might've been World War One, But yeah, that was the whole idea of the income tax was it's the war tax. It's to help, um, to help pay for the war. And again, it's, it's uh, a government program and it's, so it's infinite. So uh, we're, you know, we're still paying that. We're still paying yeah. the, the federal income tax. And, and I guess it's uh, cause again, I, I just, I love to strike up conversations, have, have yeah. debates with, with all different sor- sorts of people. But to realistically, I think today's is, is to know how much stuff is going on behind the scenes that you don't even know exists. And like yeah. my, I have a family member who works at a, uh, electric power company. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to, I won't name the States, but I'll just say, right. um, so he works at the electric power company and he, and, um, and he was just kind of telling me, cause I, I never thought about this. So there was a state that was, was like, uh, we're going to be a zero, zero emissions. We're not going to generate any power. We're going to be a 100% clean, renewable, sustainable, off the grid power state. Okay. Yeah. And if we said the state, we probably know what, what, what we're talking about. My brother's like, that state is the biggest purchaser of power from our power company. And so it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, we're off the grid guys. Good job. And then you drive over state lines and then yeah. you're literally purchasing power the normal way to right. where you're just like, what is going like what yeah. is going on? Like, what's the point of that? And here's the thing: take care of our we should we should take care of our planet. Absolutely, 100 percent Uh, yeah. you know, I come from an oil drilling family, like from born and raised mm-hmm. in Alaska. Half my family worked on the oil fields. Do I think we have the ability, capacity to get off oil and we probably should at some point? Probably as far as a sustainability into the future type thing, 
However, it's it's kind of, you know, there's so many industries and we're probably opening up a can of worms here. Um, yeah. If they if they flipped the switch and said we're off oil right now, right. the the country would implode. If yeah, if uh, yeah. there was a huge medical breakthrough and they cured all sickness and they said here you go, it literally our country would implode. Like this is yeah. how like built up on I don't know yeah. pillars, house of cards, whatever whatever you want to yeah. say. Well, these issues and there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. Sorry, go Jarvis. Yeah. yeah. So something I try to get across it and you're, you're touching on it there is that, you know, again, we're kind of getting back to, to the partisan politics side of it, but you know, there's this, there's this whole uh, idea now that like uh, Republicans and conservatives, you know, they don't care about the environment because they're not, you know, advocating for ending oil and gas, you know, within the next couple of years and things like that. I'm like, you know, it, it's it's the Republicans and conservatives who are majority the the ranchers and the farmers and the hunters and the people who actually live out in the environment. Like you can't convince me that somebody who lives in downtown Denver cares more about the environment than the rancher who literally depends on the environment to survive and to feed the rest of the state and the country like that. So it's like I you know I try to dispel that every time I hear it, but it's like we care as much if not more than anybody about conserving the planet and, and uh, you know, taking care of the environment. Um, the, the difference is, is where we align on how to go about doing that. Right. Um, and a, a good example is uh, the Repu- Republican party in general is usually in favor of, of things like nuclear because it is, it's, you know, your zero carbon emission. It's the most effective. Um, they, they say that, uh, you know, just a, a can size of, uh, I think it's plutonium could, could last you your entire life as far as energy goes. Um, but for some reason there's like this stigma maybe because of, you know, Chernobyl and stuff like that, that, uh, yeah, that, that disconnect that, you know, nuclear is a bad thing. And it's like, well, you know, the, a nuclear power plant built today is, is not the same as a nuclear power plant you know built by the soviets back in the 1970s and 80s right like it's yeah it's, it's not the same total thing. misunderstanding right and but like you said though you you would have a complete complete economic meltdown if you were if you passed a law that you could actually enforce and say by the year 2030 no more uh you know no more gas or oil or, or anything like that i mean you just it just can't happen because everything uh almost everything it relies on that and then you get into this whole debate of you know is there even enough lithium and cobalt to make the batteries and to make the solar panels and stuff for everything and to power everything in the world is does, does do those natural resources even exist uh at that well, level and i and one, this is again this this episode is to literally provoke thought and so if you are driving an electric car right this second and you're driving a lithium or cobalt essentially element powered electric vehicle and you're like i'm i'm just i'm saving the environment you need to go online and look up cobalt mines and yeah. look at the cobalt mines that are what is it i think like 90% or or a, a majority a, a large chunk or percentage uh, is is mined in africa and out of africa mm-hmm. and go and look at these cobalt mines cuz it's yeah. like it, it, again, we don't have to go into that, but just go Google, go yeah. Google those mines. A lot of, a lot of uh, child slave labor goes into to to mining all that. 
Um, yep. And it, you know, there was some testimony on, on Capitol Hill uh, in the U.S. government side pretty recently, and they were talking about, uh, you know, moving to uh, all electric um, semi trucks. And so these electric semi trucks that they, that are in development now, they uh, they they have two batteries that power them, and each battery is eight thousand pounds. Um, so you have sixteen thousand pounds just of battery to, to, to power these, um, and uh, the the amount of resources that go into it is is pretty unbelievable. But the the uh, the facility to charge them. So basically, there there was a company. Um, uh, that said, hey, we, we need a facility big enough to to maintain 30 of these battery powered trucks. And the like the city manager or the planning manager said, like looked at the amount of energy that it would take uh, to just maintain these 30 semi trucks. And they were like, this is more this is more power uh, than runs of this entire city you know, just to maintain these 30 trucks. So there are just some realities of this that uh, we're going to have to accept. Um, and again, it, it's not that we won't ever get there. And it's not that we don't believe that this should happen one day, but you, that it takes time for the technology to develop and to get yep. there and, and to become um, you know more efficient. Uh, and so we're just not there yet. So just, just because you pass a law that says, oh, by 2030, we have to have this or, you know, I think, California passed something that was like no battery or no uh, gas powered cars by 2035 or 2040 or something like that. And it's like, okay, I mean, you can aim for that, but you know, I have a feeling that when they get within, you know, five years and they realize that, you know, 80% of the cars on the road are still gas powered. I think they're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to repeal that law or, or push it back or something like that. Cause it's just, Again, not saying we don't work towards trying to be more sustainable and, and less polluting, but you know we just have to accept realities. Yeah, and realities again with the the ninety percent going on behind because it's it's. I think a lot of these power there there are power companies. You know what I mean? That um, when they're looking at hey, you're you're running off a uh, you know the, the electric company whatever is running off mm-hmm. of coal, gas, oil, whatever it is. There's sometimes they have old machines literally from like the 40s and 50s that they're still using. Right. However, as the technology changed, they, they act, they're coming out with these machines now that run like super duper ridiculously efficient. And mm. again, those same electric companies will have, you know, they'll have fields with solar that they're trying to get. They'll have right. um, the windmill farms that they're trying to right. capture power. And, you know, to, again, to put it in perspective, you have the, again, cobalt in the solar, in the solar fields, uh, mm-hmm. the windmill farms literally have to hire, uh, an employee dedicated to collecting dead birds because yeah. they just massacre birds. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. again, Hey, whatever your reality is, there is 90% yeah. of something going on behind the curtain. Yeah. So, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Sowell, um, a very, uh, famous, uh, economist, you know, he, he said that it, especially when it comes to government, there, there's, there's never solutions. There's only trade-offs, right? So, uh, you know, you're, you're never going to come up with this idea that just solves 100% uh, of the problem. And, you know, there's no collateral consequences. You, you only have trade-offs, right? So yes, we can implement this thing, but this could also happen. You're, you're, you know, sacrificing this other thing. And, you know, we see that like on a global scale, for example, like Germany, who was, you know, in the last 10 years have moved away from 
oil and gas and things like that for, you know, power in their cities. And then uh, the Russia-Ukraine war broke out and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're struggling right now and, and looking to try to import more oil and gas from other countries uh, because they're, they're just, you know, reality uh, hits you and hits you hard sometimes. So, you know, you never want to go 100% to one thing and you want to leave options open. But again, yeah, everything has a trade-off. For sure. So what does this mean for like housing? Again, uh, in Hawaii, yeah. housing is a major issue. Um, yeah. I think across the country, housing is a major issue. How, how, do, how does politics influence housing? And then we're going to start to wrap up as far as like yeah. what people can kind of do um, to yeah. take steps on, on making change. Whatever, wherever you are somewhere, you can do things and make changes or take steps to make changes. And we're going to hear, hear about that from Jarvis. Yeah. So uh, housing was a really big issue here uh, in, in Colorado, uh, especially because we, you know, we do have a huge influx of people. A lot of people are moving here. Cause why not? It's, a, it's an awesome state. Um, and so we, we, uh, we had to deal with a, a lot of very interesting bills. Um, I, I still don't think anybody has the 100% solution. Um, you know, for example, one of the bills that came across was rent control um, because, you know, in theory, it sounds nice that this was a fully Democrat sponsored bill. Uh, there were no Republicans that supported it. And, you know, the kind of from the side of the, the bill sponsors of the people who were pushing it, uh, you know, it was like, you know, it, it's unfair that rents are going up and things like that. But, you know, from a business standpoint, my, my dad's a landlord and you understand supply and demand and you understand that property taxes go up and, you know, cost of maintaining and renovating a property goes up, uh, you know, costs go up. And so you can't just cap it like that because it has to, it has to, you know, fluctuate with the market. But in principle, it sounds nice. Why don't you just make everything $1,500 and, and then everybody can have a, a place to live. Um, but I think the, the reality is, is that we just, we know from experience in places where it's been tried and, and studies that when you, when you put a cap on things like that, then what you do is you kill investment because people say, well, why am I going to build this huge apartment complex if I know that I'm capped at this and I'm not going to be able to even pay it off for the next, you know, 50 years. Um, and so that, that, that actually got defeated with the help of Democrats because we don't have enough votes, uh, to defeat it. It actually lost. Um, you know, there, there was, there was the governor put forward this land use bill, um, that actually got defeated, which was a huge loss for the governor who in Colorado almost never loses. Um, and, and what that wanted to do is that wanted to give state control over all of our, our cities on how they can develop their property. It basically did away with zoning laws, which I think there's fair arguments to make that very restrictive zoning laws can, can really tamp down uh, expanding housing supply and stuff like that. So that, that's a good conversation to have. But uh, basically taking away at your local level, um, the, the planners in your, from your county commissioners to your city council, taking that control away and giving it to the state was just a, it was, it was bad. And there was a lot of people against it because, you know, what's good for Boulder is not good for Colorado Springs, is not good for Denver, is not good for, you know, uh, Fort Collins. Right. And so that was you know, th these were some of the, the things that were proposed that was going to try to, uh, you know, fix the housing uh, crisis that we have here. And it, it just, they, I, I in my opinion, it, it wasn't a good solution. And, and ultimately, uh, they, they got defeated. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have a good answer for you on, on 
what we do about housing, particularly in, in Colorado. Maybe you have some thoughts on it because you're, you're more deeper in the game of real estate, but uh, I can say for one is, is lowering property taxes. Um, yeah. Because there's this whole issue that's going on here with uh, tax tax rate assessments, you know, and your property taxes are tied to that. And we, as we all know, no matter where you live in the country, uh, you know, property values went up really quickly in a short amount of time. And we get in Colorado, we get our tax assessments every two years. And so people are, are going to their mailboxes right now and opening their their new tax assessment and they're seeing 40, 50, 60, 70% increases. So now all of a sudden your, your property taxes went from $4,000 to $7,000 a year. Um, and that's really going to hurt housing because there's going to be people who are looking at their tax bills right now because they're coming in the mail within the last week or so. And they're going to yeah. go, I can't afford the taxes on my house. You know. So again, this episode is to provoke thought. Um, yeah. So like really not diving in, into solutions like, cause I've, I've right. gone back and forth on this statement over mm -hmm. the years and when's enough enough or when is too much, too much. And so, yeah. uh, all right, well, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, yeah. Multi, multi, multi billionaire, um, do that. And this is, I'm not going to make a statement. So I get fact checked, but do <laughs> they pay taxes? Do they pay yeah. taxes? Question mark. Um, you know, do they pay taxes? And it's like, I pay taxes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's one of those things where absolutely, uh, you know, if you're a homeowner and your interest rates go from 3% to 7%, which means your, your cost of living almost doubles when you factor in inflation, mm -hmm. uh, interest rate. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, all the things basically going on, your cost right. of living is almost doubling. So you almost yeah. have to increase rent. Um, yeah. and, and go and increasing rent 10%, you know, is different than a, you know, CEO of a drug that is needed to save lives, raising that product, you know, a hundred thousand percent, which right, right. should, should cost $12. And now they're charging yeah. you $12,500 because it, you need it to, to live. Like, right. so Somewhere in the middle there, there is an answer of like, there's an area, there's somewhere that makes sense. Because do you restrict capitalism, like people making money? Mm. You know, do you do that? You, you know, and there again, yeah. somewhere in the middle, there's this place that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, you know, medicine's a medicine's definitely, definitely a big one. And, you know, the, the hope is that, you know what, if, if I was selling, if I was selling a product, and I was just uh, selling it at a, a you know ridiculous amount that just was unaffordable for most people and stuff like that. The the idea you know under capitalism is that you're going to have someone else move in and go, hey, you know what? I can provide this product for a fraction of the price, and I'm going to get all this business right. And that's where you know free markets and competition come into play. Now, where this kind of goes off the rails is is what we would call corporatism, right? Where So you have the government making rules and regulations and, and things that make it harder for competition to come in and, and compete for business, right? And, give, and it gives favoritism towards, uh, you know, larger companies. And, you know, we saw this during the pandemic. I mean, it, it was absolutely egregious when, when Walmart and Home Depot and Target and these companies could stay open. And, and they got all the business and your mom and pop short, uh, mom and pop store was shut down. You know what I mean? And it, it's like that, that's 
almost like a level of corporatism here. You have these big companies that can pay these government affairs uh, lobbyists and, and, and pay, uh, you know, uh, different people to to exert their influence, lawyers and things like that. They can do that and they get these special perks and benefits. And then your mom and pop shop that's that's struggling, uh, you know, doesn't get that same kind of thing. And and and, and we, we see the effects of it because I can't remember. I, I saw this statistic uh, about a year ago, but how many tens of thousands of businesses, small businesses just in Colorado alone shut down and closed their doors forever because they just couldn't survive even with the, the, you know, PPP loans and stuff like that to try to help them. They just, they never recovered for it, but guess who's still doing fine. Your big corporations who got to stay open during that. So um, yeah, there's uh, we have to have, we have to have a healthy balance of, of competitiveness. And, and from a conservative standpoint, usually when the government gets involved there, they're usually messing it up and making it less competitive and, and less fair for people. For sure. What the invisible hand is one of my favorite That's concepts right. that needs to occur. Um, yeah. All right. So as we kind of wrap up, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, how do I as an individual, as a consumer, you know, because there's this feeling like I can't make a difference. Like, you know, it's this ocean or tide that's occurring mm-hmm. like what can people do to, to make a difference, push things in, in the, the way or steps that they, they want? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest thing, that, which is it's kind of a little thing, is just paying attention and getting involved. Um, and, you know, you don't have to you don't have to do when I say get involved, it, it really doesn't take much like. You know, it, whether you're a part of the Republican Party, Democrat Party, you're independent, you know, it, it doesn't take much to just kind of pay attention to what your local school board's doing, what your city council's doing, what your county commissioners are doing, whoever, you know, you, you need to you need to know what's going on. Because when you pay property taxes and when you go to the store and you pay a sales tax and, and when you fill up and, and you're you're you know, you're not happy with your gas prices, that's not necessarily what the federal government, they have a small part in that. But uh, it, it's it's what's going on at the county and state level and your local level and your, your municipal level. Like paying attention to that, maybe getting involved. I when I moved here to Colorado four years ago, I I had never been involved in politics or anything like that. And I just I showed up to a couple meetings that the local party was having, and I met people and I started learning about the issues. Then from there, I got a little bit more and more involved, and, and now I am where I am. Um, but uh, you know, that's it was literally just getting involved because not enough people pay attention at the local level. So uh, do that. Know what's going to be on your ballot. You should get your ballot. You know, almost every state, probably every state, maybe except one or two, has early mail-in balloting at this point. Or you at least get your ballot early, or you can see it online early. You know, look at what the issues are on the ballot. Do some research on it. Look at who's who the candidates are, regardless of party, and see what they stand for. Go to their websites. Listen to them talk. If they had a debate, you know, yes, it does take time, but you know what I, I mean. It it means something, right? It has an impact on your day-to-day life on, on what they're doing. And so, yes, it takes a little bit of time, but you know what? Uh, you can make that time. You know, if you can sit Absolutely. and binge watch a Netflix series, you could take a fraction of that and do some research on, on your, your local representatives. If you can binge watch house of cards so that you're a master <laughs> yeah. politician, That's you right. can do this. Absolutely. It's Jarvis, like what's up? One concept drop pearl for our listeners here today. What's that? I said, what's like uh, just one thought, perspective, pearl? What, what do you want the consumers? What's the last little takeaway uh, you got for our listeners? 
I, I would say um, it's it's not actually uh, politics is not actually like House of Cards, right? So uh, if if you see a politician uh, voting a certain way, it's it's not because there's this you know huge corporation um, you know buying them off and giving them a cat. Uh, a suitcase full of money. Uh, it's not really how it works. You know, it, certain, certain organizations and stuff do donate to, you know, certain political parties and candidates and stuff like that. But uh, I think me and you kind of talked about it yesterday there, which it's like, you know, if, if as a Republican, we're very pro gun rights and things like that, well, of course, pro gun organizations donate to, to the Republicans. And just in the same sense, you know, the Democrats receive a lot of money from the pro gun control groups. Hey, we don't, we don't feel that way because of that kind of influence. I mean, it's, we believe what we believe and that's why those people, uh, you know, pay attention uh, to us and, or maybe donate to us or support us and stuff like that. So it is, it is not like house of cards as much as that would kind of be cool because it's a pretty cool show. I only saw like the first two seasons, but uh, I promise you it's nothing like that. Um, you know, they, they really do when, when they're casting votes, they really are thinking about, is this what I was elected to do? Like, is, is this what I'm, my constituents sent me here to do? And you know what? And if they start voting the way that constituents don't like, well, just like we talked about at the beginning, full circle, uh, you have a primary and uh, they'll have to face a primary opponent who will go there and, and do what they were elected to do. So hold them accountable. That's what I could say. Hold them accountable. Awesome. Again, um, thank you listeners for making it through today, uh, today's episode. I mean, we really just wanted to provoke thought, literally left, right, the middle, independent, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter. I am on the side of you being a closer and you making money. That's what we wanted to talk about is just being able to have conversations, being able to be a place to where you can debate the issues. And you know what? Walk away, go barbecue, go have a beer with, with them. Um, and just be a, just a better rounded person. So again, thank you so much listeners for dropping in because coffee is for closers as always. And we are fueled by Colab agents. Thanks guys. Thanks Travis. Enjoyed this episode of Coffee for Closers? Subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts and follow Collab agents on social at Collab agents. Thank you.